Welcome to the Band of Brothers podcast. Our current series is entitled The Roles of a Man. We are led by Don Mutton, the singles minister at Houston's First Baptist Church, and Eric Reed, the minister to men and married young adults at Houston's First Baptist. We're glad that you're joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day. Uh, overview, one of the premises is that women do not want to be dominated. Uh, they do not want to uh, dominate. They'd like to be led well, so that's our, our thesis Notice that we have different roles for women and kind of corresponding ones. Every, every week we talk about how these fit together in terms of they have kind of this complementary aspect of it. So we're not going through roles of woman, but as we go through roles of man, we're dealing with the idea of what men have and then the idea of how that complements what the gal's rules are and how that fits together. Can, you, um, can a lady be good at um, being a provider? Or would that be okay? Can they make a lot of money? I don't, see it. I, don't see where it's, I don't see where it's wrong. I mean, because it doesn't say anything about a woman not providing. Um, yeah, Proverbs 31 would be the great example of it. You know, but, so no, I don't see anything wrong with that. What's the difference then if that's a man's role? What's the difference? The man should still be the head of the family. She should be the provider, but the man's the one who should be making, I would say, the, the major decisions for the family. You know, I mean, not being decisions, but be the decision maker. Yeah, you're the, you're the one that's going to be held responsible. Exactly. Spiritually. There's going to be a responsibility placed upon you in terms of the, the direction of the family. Okay? Let's, uh, let's uh, okay, look down here. We're going to safe harbor, unloading the cargo, loading the cargo, um, and then uh, going back to sea. And so loading the cargo, zero, zero, one, yeah, if, one, If anyone zero. knows how to read binary code and could <laughs> decipher the last part of column three, row so, three, so, uh, so loading the cargo, zero, zero, one, one, zero. You don't know where that came from. It just showed up there. So. Hey, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's uh, take a minute or two. If you just take a moment, let's just pray for ourselves, and then uh, we'll jump in and pray together. <clears throat> If you're comfortable, just, just pray just specifically that the Lord would open your heart into His truth. Father, as we look at spiritual teacher, Father, as we understand that as a part of our role, Father, let's, uh, let us not try to do it on our own. We ask uh, even right now that we hear from you. That we be empowered by you and be led by you, and all those things in Christ's name. We pray, Amen. Amen. What uh, I didn't bring last week, and a couple of folks uh, were not here last week, so I did not bring that last week. I'll try to bring it all together uh, next week for you. We have one more week. I think next week. I think on the original sheet it says that we were going to end this week. We have one more week, so we, we actually. Some of the material was way too much information way in the front, so we kind of spread out just a bit, so we go through a little slower. We have one more week, and then we'll be kind of complete. And then uh, I think it's spring break. There's a a class starting up after spring break that geared. It's geared more toward family. It's geared toward communication, conflict resolution. Uh, a wife could go in there with a husband and take it, but uh, I, I would just say if if you struggle with uh, anger. Uh, communication, like indirect communication or sarcasm, it would be a really good class to take. Um, that doesn't mean it's the only class. Look at the, all the other offerings out there, but it was very helpful for me. And the reason we're opening it up for a wife to come with a husband was because my wife and I, I was like, 
It would be a whole lot better if uh, you were hearing this from someone else and not me when I was learning stuff and I would share it with her. You know, it's always helpful to have a third party bring that information in, if that makes sense. Do you know what date that is? It'll be the, uh, I think it's the 24th, um, the, the week of, I'll tell you very quickly here. But that's a class I'm definitely going to want to take. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's the, tw uh, wait a minute, I say the 24th. It is going to be the 24th of March. Would you know the time? It'll be the same time frame as this, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. Um, the, the teacher of it is Rick Wirtz, uh, who was sort of, he was sort of corporate America guy that was about to blow his whole family up, including his own kids, and, uh, and God just got a hold of his life, and now he, you know, he's trying to prevent what almost destroyed his life for other men and families, and he's a great, he's a great guy, and so definitely, if you're available, that would be a good class if you struggle in any of those areas that, that a lot of us do. If you don't have a family, not married, it'd be a great well preventative. Preventative. So no, again, yeah. as we look and we say that, then if you're a single adult, well, you kind of well, then I definitely have to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, hey. No way. Oh, sorry. Okay. Hey, we're talking about uh, several of the different parts of this, and so we've talked about the idea of coming to a safe harbor. That we need that safety is critical. It's not called the protector. It's the idea of atmosphere. We're talking about the uh, provider. It's the idea of unloading the cargo so there's room to put provisions. This week we're going to talk about loading the cargo in the sense of putting things into the ship, what is needed. So when things are taken out, it's not just, in fact, the scripture talks about cleaning out the, uh, uh, the house and not putting anything in the house. And then Satan brings in all of his demons and more and fills back up. So it's the idea of dieting without a plan for a lifetime. You know, you, get, you lose your weight, and then once you lose your weight, you gain it back twice as fast. And so the same, same kind of ideas is, is going on here. We're going to clean out the boat, the idea of provider, clean out the boat so that we can put back in the boat the proper things that belong there. So the idea of preparation before the journey. You're good. Let's, uh, let's look at our, our, our passage, our foundational passage. Is this me or you? No, it's all you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Genesis uh, 2, 16 through 17. Oh. Oh, it's there, right here. Okay, we're sharing. These are artists. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, Who's... So somebody read the Genesis 2, 16 through 17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helpful suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast. Uh, uh, 16 through 17 there. Okay. And, um, yeah. Let's turn to uh, then look at ultimately that the Satan tricks Eve, but God holds Adam responsible. But the Lord God called the man, Where are you? Even though that seems kind of why would have gone to Eve on that. So the implication is Adam was held responsible also for the teaching aspect. That there was an aspect in which God held him responsible to teach uh, Eve in regards to what she should know. And we know that there is an, an idea there that seems as if she, either she was misinformed or was not informed at all, one of the two. So let's take another look, though, at another person. Let's look at Abraham. Let's go down into Scripture a little bit further down, down the road here. And so in chapter uh, uh, 18, 18 of Genesis, if somebody would read uh, Genesis 18, 19. It's right there. Is it 18, 19? Uh, uh, 18, chapter 18, verse 19. Well, I have chosen him 
that he may command his children in his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteous and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Your passage says command. Uh, a lot of passages says says direct. The idea is that idea we would think in English in terms of teaching also. The idea of, of verbalizing those things. It then says later on in the verse to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And so we know that the idea of teaching is both in word and it is in action. And both of those things are a part of, of teaching. Uh, let's look further down the road here. Let's look at uh, Deuteronomy. Moses is then telling the, the Israel Israelite nation. Okay, so they've gone from individual to a family, Abraham, to now to a nation. And so it's kind of progressing down through individual, family, now nation. And look at the role, how us as men have this role. Somebody read Deuteronomy 6.20. In the future, when, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of stipulations, creeds, and laws, the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him. Yeah, so he's saying, tell him. And then, then it says, what you tell him? So the idea is that we would verbalize those things, that there is a role that we have to teach our sons and our daughters, to teach those that are asking, to teach those people around us, and the nation that would be. So it's not just talking to a family, but that all the men would teach all their families, and so the nation would know what the decrees of God would be. So the man, through uh, protection and provision, established the right foundation, right? So what we're doing here is dealing with, dealing with the foundational principles, these two things. Now we're getting ready to go into the application orientation of it. So the, the first two rules deal with the atmosphere, deal with the foundation, deal with the idea of let's prepare, let's get ready for. Now the next part is the application of what are we getting prepared for? What are we going to do? And so the next part deals with that idea of getting prepared for the journey. I want to also tie in with the, the principle of, of learning, of loving and leading our, our spouses, uh, other people. Idea of using the knowledge that we learn, and so this idea of a spiritual teacher, filling in these blanks here, discerns the needs. Discerns the needs. That means, if, if what Don said is we're the atmosphere has been set through provision and protection, then the question is, what are we now going to do? Well, we discern the need, we prepare the people. Now that could be uh, that could be a, a Bible study class. It could be a group of uh, friends that you're meeting with. But in a lot of cases, uh, as you get older, if, if God blesses you with a, a spouse, then it becomes your family. You're you're preparing them as well. You choose the map. And then lastly, you collect the supplies needed for the journey. And uh, an example, you know, in my family, just of recent history was. And I might have shared some of this was I, I felt very strongly as I was spending time in prayer. I, I was in a job that I was, I don't know if you'd say I was successful in it or, or what, but I, I felt comfortable in the job I was in. But in my heart, I knew this is not where I'm going to be in 20 years. I mean, I just I sensed that this isn't where I'm landing finally. And I wrestled with it every year. It was I was teaching and coaching, and my teams were doing well. And my uh, students, I felt like, were doing well. I had good relationships with the students and the parents, and all that. But in my heart, I was like, I don't know. This is yeah. I don't know where this ends. And and God put on my heart as I spent time in prayer. I knew my wife uh, has a high security need, so I had learned that my wife likes a lot of security. Um, within it, I felt like God very much was saying, Hey, I want you to set aside a year of living expenses. I know that sounds crazy, but 
I told my wife that. I was like, hey, honey, I believe we're supposed to set aside a year of living expenses. Well, that, that meant sort of like beans and rice for a year almost. Yeah, it's like you, you start really scrapping and saving. I had no idea why, but I was really, I felt very sure about it. And the whole time I was also wrestling with the job that I was doing. I, I loved it. Uh, Brooke was one of my athletes, one of my students. Um, Nathan Casper, who's been in here also, one of my athletes, one of my students. It was, it was a fruitful time of life, but I just knew. And then literally uh, in May of 2003, is that right? Um, I called a team meeting, and instead of announcing our summer workouts, I announced that God had put on my heart that I needed to resign my coaching position. Uh, it was a painful, sad day, you know, for me. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Then the summertime hit, and I was in the shower one day, and it was like clear as daylight, almost like if, if, if Don would have screamed at me, something like, leave your job but I mean it was like it was so loud and clear I was like oh my gosh I don't have a resume together I don't know what I'm supposed to do but it was very clear step away from teaching and I get out of the shower and I go to my wife and we talk about it we pray about it and that didn't go away and so little did I know that she had a need for she had a need for security right and we were on this journey if, if God had not prompted me and I had not been obedient to in a sense, to save up that year of living expenses, it would have been abusive to my wife for us to go and step out because she was staying at home with two kids. It gave her a buffer of she saw God prepared us. We loaded the cargo that we needed. God was showing us where we're headed, and we stepped out in faith, and that journey has been very exciting. It's grown our faith, but today where we are, I can't imagine. I mean, honestly... I mean, it's, it's beyond all that I had thought, beyond all that I'd imagined where he's led us so far. And we needed almost all of that resource in the transition there. I mean, we, we went eight months between paychecks. So that was a lot of, uh, had two kids, you know, you lose your health insurance, so you're having to pay a lot more for insurance. So it was a neat journey, but this idea of, of discerning the need, Preparing the people, choosing the map, and collecting the supplies needed for the journey was a really beautiful thing in our family, the way God put that together, both spiritually, emotionally, and financially, all together in that, in that window of time. Um, I'm not advocating leaving a job without having a resume or any of that. Okay, just, just obey God, I think, is, is the main thing. Yeah, I'm done? The, uh, so the idea is that you have this atmosphere you're guarding, protecting. You have, and since you show your strength, you're you're saying I'm the guy that can help you. Let me let me help you with it. That's safe. Let's walk through this together. Let's talk through this. Let's communicate with one another. Remember, this is a huge part of the strength is having the ability and the bandwidth to be able to communicate and talk through that. But then to have the discernment. And discernment means to be the detective. It means to be the person that says, let me explore. It's having an idea of where you're going. It's the idea of saying. Here's what life has taken me. You may have that clear. It may be somewhat unclear. But you say, so that the provision is then provided for. You bring it onto the dock. Okay? You get it prepared. Hmm. I'm a single guy. I want to make sure my wife can trust me. How can I handle, how can I develop a, be a trustworthy man? What does it mean? What is my, I want to have a family. I'd like to have maybe children. I'd like to maybe be on the, on the mission field. What, is, what would it mean? For me to be prepared for that, it may mean you start taking your notes you get from Pastor Greg on, in sermons, putting those together so that they're in order, so that when you look back to help disciple other people, you can find where those things are. It may mean you start uh, getting completely out of debt so that when you take on a, 
a bride and a family, you have that preparation made. Whatever that might be, you have, there has to be, in a sense, this idea is that you have a place you're going, a destination. There must be a purpose to this. There must be a, what's going on? Well, we know in Scripture, in fact, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Somebody read that, that verse out loud. Uh, Philippians 3.10. Want to know Christ and power's resurrection, the fellowship, the sharing, and suffering, becoming like him. Wow. You hear the verse? They would become like him is the goal. There's a purpose. Uh-oh, what does it mean to become like him? That we know him not only in all what he gives me in terms of good, not all that he gives me in terms of what I want, but what he gives me even in his suffering that I would know that, that I understand what crucifixion what crucifixion meant, what the payment of that was. I understand what it means in terms of all that it gives me in terms of as a name, as a character, that I become like him. So I have to have a sense, understand my purpose. I have to understand where I'm going because if we get the wrong supplies, if we have it all on there, we're taking a good job, we're doing it over here, we're getting, becoming a, a teacher, we're getting all that stuff together, but we put the wrong supplies onto the boat, we find out we're going halfway around the world, but we only took enough to get, you know, go over to uh, Galveston Island, and we kind of made a mistake. Uh-oh, didn't pack enough, need a little bit more water, need a little bit more supplies. We're not ready for this long journey. And so to become like that. In fact, let's turn back to uh, Philippians chapter 2. He kind of gives it clear. Gives us the model of what this looks like, becoming like Christ. What does that look like? Uh, let's read um, Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Is that, is that paragraph break on five? Okay, go ahead. Somebody read that out loud. If you have two, one through five. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship from his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by like-minded uh, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not uh, should look not only on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that is of Jesus Christ. Christ. And it explains exactly what Jesus Christ's uh, attitude was in verses 6 through 10, 6 through 11 there. And it continues that on. And so this idea of the supplies and what we need, it becomes a very important. So the, your blanks there, therefore, as a spiritual teacher, we prepare people, family, class workers, at the safe harbor before we help others with the journey back into the sea of life. See, we help them at the safe harbor before we get out in the journey back, uh, before we get back into the journey of the sea of life. But remember, if we've not helped unload, if we've not taken the time to know who, we, who those people are who we're ministering to and with, if we've not taken time, then at that point, there's no, there's no room to put what God has put in. So this becomes, in a sense, spiritual teaching. We're equating to the supplies needed for life. Everybody following me? So this is spiritual teaching. We'll talk further about that. 
Yeah, I think the, uh, the one key component of all of that, if you're responsible and I'm responsible for getting the right items there, the right map, the right supplies, discernment is the biblical word that is a priority word for a man. Is having discernment. That means you can know the difference between what is God's best and what's second best. What is right, what is wrong. Those ideas there. And so discernment is the key to being a spiritual teacher. And scripture throughout everything, especially the book of Proverbs, talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord should produce something in our heart. And that, that phrase, and I would just write that word out beside it, is humility. Having a fear of God isn't necessarily that I can't stand up before Him. It, it's that I am humbled before Him. That I recognize this is a task much bigger than I could ever imagine. That God would somehow look at my wife and look at our family and look at the direction of that. Or look at me as a teacher and look at the direction of the class. Or look at me in the marketplace and look at the direction of my company or my business. And He would say, are you shaping that or are you sitting back on that are you having a vision for that and so humility is the beginning of discernment it's not the ending of discernment and in proverbs 9 verse 10 uh, victor could you uh, read that for us yeah it's it's not when i first heard spiritual teacher i always thought oh my gosh i've got to know hebrew I've got to know Greek, I've got to know archaeology, I've got to know every detail of every book. <coughs> and then I, yeah, it's like, then you start meeting men like, uh, like Keith Moore, Beth Moore's husband. And you recognize, uh, is he going to outsmart his wife? Uh, does everyone know who Beth Moore is? Just, out, just raise your hand if you do. I'm just, okay, so a lot of us, she is probably the world's most renowned female biblical teacher. But if you've ever heard her teach, wow, she's really, really good, and she studies a lot. And I met her husband, and I was like, well, how could he be a spiritual teacher for her? Well, by this, he discerns the vision that God has for their family. Okay, he discerns the vision that God has for that family, and he's accountable for that. And so this idea of to be a spiritual teacher, you have to know what you're talking about, Yes, you do, but you don't have to be an expert in God's Word. I would strongly suggest you ought to be in God's Word and seek to be an expert in God's Word, but just because you're not there today doesn't mean you're disqualified from being a spiritual leader. God's still going to hold you accountable. That motivates me to say, wow, I better know where we're headed. I better know what God values, what, what He wants to see in the life of my children, my friendships, my business, all of those things. But one thing we do is we need to develop the discipline of seeking and applying His truth. Seeking and applying this His is truth. This a great example so, of Scripture. Let's turn to uh, 2 Timothy. It's, it's there in your Scripture books. So 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. Don't look that up in your Bible also. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16-17. It gives us in a sense a roadmap. If our goal is to become, since have right relationship with God and man, Become like Christ. He was he found favor with, with God and man. Okay? Be like Christ. If that is our goal, right relationship with God and man. Then we say, what how do we get there? What does that look like? How do we have this role of man? How does it fit into how do we get to the place where we're trying to go to? God, 
you want me to be something, how do I get there? How do I have a right relationship with you? How do I have a right relationship with other people? So this verse gives us the great, one of the great applications in regards to how this looks. Of, uh, that verse, uh, somebody read that uh, out loud, uh, 16 through 17. All scripture, God read. That's cool. I like that. No, that's so uh, cool. I love that. It's so cool. <laughs> it is. Yeah. All scripture is God's breath is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. It says, uh, what's the first word you have there? God's word is, is profitable for what? Teaching. Teaching. Doctrine. What else? Rebuking. Rebuking. The idea of reproof. Yeah, what what does rebuke? I mean, is that I don't think we use that word a lot anymore. Rebuke. This is this is actually an older word, which is a nice nice idea. It gives, gives kind of a qualifier behind it. What does rebuking mean? Does it mean context? So, um, kind of like rebuking, like saying going against something that is being said. Uh, if you go with counterfeit money, how does uh, the person who determines counterfeit money find out whether something's counterfeit or not? What do they know best? Counterfeit money? They know real money. They know the real thing. So they spend hours and hours and hours and hours with the real thing, looking at it, feeling it, being with it. And so they do that, and this is because it's the proof. So what, is the, what is the proof? Well, the proof is that dollar bill. And so if the idea behind it is I would know that so well that I know what a counterfeit is there. So the idea is that what you're doing is counterfeit to what God's best is. It's a rebuke based upon the idea of what is God's best. What is the, uh, the next one? The next word is correction. Anybody have another word for that? Fixing. Fixing? Oh, great word. And the final one is instruction. Now, this fits onto the road. Here, here's how it fits. The first one, the doctrine, the teaching, in a sense, puts us on the right path. It's the idea of what salvation's about. It puts us on the path. You know, I was apart from God, I'm now with God, I'm on the path with God. We're walking together. It's the idea of being on the right path. So number one is the idea of doctrine. It puts me on the right path. Number two is the idea that then of rebuking. It's when I get off the path, okay? When I've gotten off the path. I look at my life, and I look at the proof test, which is in Scripture. I look at that and go, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm off path. Oh, there we go. And so I look at that, the truth test, and so it puts me, and since that shows me that I'm off the path. The third one is the idea of correction. And it's the thing that sends me, gets me back on the path. It sends me back on it. I say, well, if I'm off the path, how do I get back on the path? Well, here's what you do. Okay, I've sinned. Okay? I know that, God, you have a relationship with me. I've been on the path. There's relationship. I've sinned against you, Father. I see that in Scripture. Psalms 51 is a great uh, passage on that. Then it says, then at that point, that I ask God for forgiveness of sin. So, God, I've made a mistake. I'm wrong on that. I'm so sorry for that. It puts me back on the path, say, so the idea of correction. Correction is a good thing, it's not a bad thing. And the final one, then, is the idea of what keeps me to help me stay on the path is to be God's instruction. And so it just fits in terms of how. I get on the path. What happens when I get off the path? How do I get back to where I'm supposed to be? And then finally, how do I stay there? I don't want to get off the path, on the path. How do I stay there? Well, the instruction is the idea of humility again. That I say, God, I don't understand what this looks like. Can you help me with that? 
put me back on the path. Yeah, one of the one of the dangers and the reason we keep stressing humility is if you're like if you're like us, the more you learn about something, when you learn something's right and you notice someone else is not doing that right, what tends to happen? We flag it, right? If you're an outspoken man, meaning you're you're the guy that you see something wrong and you want to fix it or address it, then all of a sudden you get into fixing people as opposed to loving them and leading them, right? You begin to fix them. doesn't play out well because most of us don't want to be projects for someone else. And so the idea is our humility allows us really, instead of reproaching people out of, out of pride and out of control, we, we, we reproach them out of love. We seek to build them up, pushing them more toward Christ. And everything that, that a wife or that a person you're leading would want from you, meaning they want you to be an encourager to them, lead them well, have the right plan, the right path, and you know it and you're heading that way, that's what they desire. And humility is at the heart of that. If you ever lord it over someone, in other words, you, you take what you know and you just impose it rigidly with no relationship, you're, you're going to, instead of being a good spiritual teacher, you're going to be hurting you're going to be doing something spiritual, but it won't be teaching them. Does that make sense, that idea? Uh, Don, on the discipleship. So this New Testament picture looks like this. It's a word called disciple maker, discipleship. Uh, Jesus called 12 to be with him. He taught them, he trained them, he was a disciple. Since what he was doing was being a disciple, he was preparing them for the journey ahead. He let them watch him. He sent them out so they would do it. He then instructed them how they did it well, how they did it poorly, what they need to do differently. And so as the coach being involved in their life, and so the idea of disciple-making then becomes the great tool to say, here's, here's what I'm fearful of. That I head on a journey and I don't have everything I need. I'm, I'm going someplace, I'm doing something, I don't have all the, all the supplies. Uh-oh, i got to redo this. Uh, part of what I do is I put on programs for, for things. So sometimes I go, uh-oh, what if I don't have everything there? So I have to then say, what do I need for that? The idea of discipleship is the idea of base camp. It's the idea of what foundational needs do I have. It never changes, really, in some ways. You know what? It's going to require that we're in God's Word. This is. It's going to require that we trust Him, that we're obedient to Him. Our love isn't seen by what we know. It's seen by how we obey Him. And so this idea of the Christian life is, in really sense, always of being a disciple, but it's also... Not only being a disciple, because you're not truly a disciple New Testament-wise until you're a disciple-maker. Okay? So the idea of Christian discipleship is not something I only receive self-centered. I need everything from you, God. You tell me how, where I need to go, what I need to do. But we're also being a disciple-maker. I learned this from you, God, in humility. Let me pass that on to someone else and become a disciple-maker. And so as a disciple-maker, you then take those things in. There. No, I have a blank there. I'm supposed to give you. Are oh, you good? Missing one? I don't have the original. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. And so I decided to make I knew there was a blank there. There's a person that always goes back and makes sure that all the supplies are there, all the needs are there. So that means one continually goes back to the safe harbor. Make sure that we're all, in a sense, working through all of this, that we're taking care of these, these foundational principles. Let me throw one out to you. There's a discussion that goes on. Why do I need the church? Why do I need the church? 
if God loves me, saves me, then why do I need the church? The church is kind of like the, the boat in the way because you need the church to be stronger with God in the way because it keeps you on the right path. Mm-hmm. But the church, it's very tough staying at the same path or you know, staying at path to God. Mm-hmm. It's like the Bible says that you know having gatherings is going to make you more of a stronger God. Right, absolutely. What else? I have a story, John, kind of like one story of the night. I didn't email you like I should have. Okay. Will. Church is kind of like a fire. I can take, reach in and take an ember out, set it on the side, and that ember will turn dark. And a man doesn't have fellowship with others in the Word, and he's going to turn dark just like that ember. You can pick that dark ember up, set it back in the fire, and you rejuvenate it. That's a yeah. great picture. Yeah, a great picture. This uh, yeah, this weekend I was at a retreat, and that I used that uh, Sunday morning because Saturday night we had a fire in the fireplace behind me, and it was sort of an intentional deal where it had sort of fallen apart. And at the end of it, I scooped everything together because they're little pieces of wood, and in the morning it was all ash, so to speak, and it all it caught reignited, and so that's perfect. Yeah, my church. Yeah, scripture is the body. It's the idea of any piece of part on its own doesn't doesn't do as good as it does as a whole unit, as a whole part. So we join together. The idea of disciple making is the idea that we would always go back to the basics. We always go back to the foundation of Christ crucified, of my need for salvation, my constant reminder that I can't do it on my own, that there is something greater than me. There's an eternity to come. There's there's a, a savior who I who I see. And I fall before. All those things put me back in that right place. So the church reminds me of all those things, bringing me back to that idea of this disciple-making process. So the picture of this is the idea, as we look at God's Word, that supplies are found as we disciple one another. We take, in fact, what are some tools of disciple-making? What's some tools? I think you have it up there in notes, a little higher up. It says, uh, are you prepared personally? What are the right practices so that you are prepared? What are some right practices so that you're prepared? Well, reading the, reading the book every day. Yeah, being in God's Word every day. Reading God's Word every day. It's a big one. What else? Prayer. Yeah, prayer. Why is prayer so critical, Victor? Uh, I think it's just a, the best time to communicate with God and just having some alone time. And Cave time. It's the best yeah. man, yeah. Cave time. <laughs> God's not insecure. What we think before we ever say it is already known. So he's not going to think, oh, you've thought that, I know what to do now. What am I, oh my goodness, well myself, what am I going to do? You know, kind of deal. He's not thinking that. He's secure enough. He understands who we are. He understands the problem we have with sin. So there is an aspect in which he just puts us in the right relationship with him. He's there. He's near. He draws us near. What else? What else is good practice? Mr. Dulos, man, Brad, what are, some, what are some right practices? What are some things you're learning right now? I think uh, quiet time for sure, right? You can find apply some principles uh, in, in studying the Word and actually picturing out and seeing what God wants. Trying to picture what, uh, what God's trying to say to you in my past. 
Yeah, five and uh, fix our eyes on him and really put a five on the page and keep it. Yeah. So it turns into a mind of ours for, for action. Yeah. We have we might call that meditation right. upon God's word is a is a term. The idea of spiritual meditation. It's not emptiness, this fullness of who he is and walking that out. Mm -hmm. What else? Something that takes place in the church or should take place in the church. It can take place in this setting here. It can take place in the hallway. Um, a church should provide you opportunity to get godly counsel in your life. I mean, uh, we're admonished throughout Scripture that before you build a house, before you go to war, before you do anything, any major decision, ideas, seek godly counsel. I would suggest I would never propose to a girl until I had actually sat down with a couple of godly men and maybe even some godly ladies that, that like an older sister, a mom or what, and just talk through, pray through, look at, make these decisions, not in a vacuum of it's just me and I don't affect anyone else, but to say, okay, God, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to seek godly counsel from godly people and offer them an opportunity to help me clarify uh, a decision for a career, you know, should I or shouldn't I take this promotion? Well, you can make the decision yourself, but I'd say, man, it, the wise thing to do is get some godly counsel on it as well. And you may still make the same decision, but what happened to your heart and the connection with the other men at the church was a positive. So church can provide that community where you can get godly counsel. One of the interesting deal is that whole idea of doulos. We, we go away from each other, but we come back every week, and we just talk through it. That's part of the discipline of, of what the doulos is about, is that you'd be together. People would know you. You'd know then the forthrightness that would be involved, that the genuineness. There'd be nothing hidden. Things are known in prayer to God, but they're also known appropriately to others in terms of what that might look like. And so very critical is that there would be a place in which we come in which we say, I understand who I am. I understand who you say you are, God, and I'm working through that and understanding where we're going. And so again, it's back to that picture of get these supplies as a disciple. These are supplies because what it's going to do is benefit you. It's going to help us in terms of the journey coming up. Isn't it amazing how often you read Scripture and you go, oh, wow, that is for today. I didn't realize it was for today, but that tool, that, that truth God gave me was for now. Oh, wow. Um, it's, it's just amazing how that all works want to go to that next section because what we're not talking about is controlling a group of people or controlling a family or controlling a Sunday school class. What we're talking about here is a spiritual teacher creates an environment where beauty can actually flourish, where creativity can actually come alive. By creativity, we're going we're to talk a little bit about that. A good discerning spiritual teacher, they actually secure enough, they're secure enough to give freedom to people to be creative. And that having and displaying trust and security in someone fuels creativity. So the idea is if, if you have a secured perimeter, secured base, if that's secured, people feel free enough to actually play out in that area. For your kids, that might be 
you have a, a back, you know, backyard, you put a fence around that backyard, and the kids feel safe. Where my kids don't always feel safe in the backyard because we don't have a fence around the backyard, and sometimes dogs come in the backyard. So I have to go out and secure the perimeter, be sure the neighbor's dog is up before I let my kids out in the backyard. I know it sounds like I'm a bad dad, but uh, there's no way to get a fence up. Anyway, um, but the idea there is that we do that. And that it's, a, it's sort of a neat, a neat idea there. Uh, creating beauty happens best when men caringly have made the environment safe by preparing the family or the group for the journey. And I love the arts, and so using an analogy from that, the idea of that is that, that creativity is not necessarily just a totally open, white board of, you know, if I were just to tell you, hey, create something for me. How, how easy is that if I just lay it out and hey, create something for me? But if I, if I narrow that down for you, bit by bit, and I say, hey, I want, I want, you, to, I want you to actually write, write, write a poem, and let's just do a haiku. And it, can be, it needs to be about a sport. At that point, I've narrowed the field down, and I've given you that fence. And now you can, in there, be very creative. There's a million different haikus you could write in that one area. I used to think creativity meant no boundaries. And what I've learned is the very first step for me when I'm getting ready to create a, a piece of art is I limit myself. I choose my medium. I choose the scope. I choose my subject. And then I begin to, to bring creativity into that arena. And so for us, that's what this whole idea of, of, in a sense, being a spiritual teacher is we're secure enough in Christ. We're not threatened when people share. People speak into it and they shape it. We want to give them the opportunity to be creative of what God's called them to do. I'm well, done. Because the destination's there. Yeah, you, you may have said a good term earlier today. You said freedom versus focus. See, this is, a, this is the idea of focus. And so the freedom we have in Christ gives us the understanding of where we're going, what we're doing. He narrows that down. Who are we supposed to be like? Christ. What's that look like? He gives us scripture. It says exactly how we're supposed to look. He narrows that down so that within that, the freedom we find in Christ lets us then be all that God has made us to be. And so that freedom we find is found within those boundaries. They're called rules. Remember our first lessons? They're called rules. Those rules keep us morally fit. They help us from going outside the bounds. The principles then give us a focus on it. The roles then even give us a, a more direct focus on, okay, I need to make sure that these supplies. <coughs> so this idea, this pressure you feel maybe of, i got to know everything. i got to have all the information down. i got to know all that John says. i got to know everything about the Christian life before I can do this. You say, wait a second. My job is just to make sure these things are here. And so I go, hey, I don't know how to do this. Hey, honey, you mind if I talk to, to my buddy? He's an older, older guy. He's walked this walk before. I, I'm a little uncertain what, I, what we need here. Could I go talk to him about this? He's a godly guy. I know he'll give me some good advice. Can I do that? Hey, honey, instead of us trying to get this all worked out tonight, can we pray about this a little bit? Can we just take some time and really see what God's will is on this? Hey, God, can we, instead of now you being the knowledge person, you know all the information, you know how to break up the Greek and Hebrew and all of its parts and pieces, and you know how to then explain that to everyone. At this point, you say, you know, I don't know necessarily how to do that. But I know what we're going on a journey. And I know where that journey's taken us. Let's get all of our supplies. Let's figure that out. Let's go back to the passion. Let's go back to God's word. Let's go back to prayer. Let's go back to those things to make sure we have everything we need so we take off again. So what it does is it takes the pressure off. Whew. 
God, you mean you can teach me what I need to know? Oh, God, you can supply me with the things I need to, to take on the journey? Oh, you can give me the focus I need? Okay, good. I'm uncertain of this, but you're not. You see it clearly down the road. I don't, but you do. And so let me, as we walk this out today, teach me and give me a little more clarity on that next step. Does that make sense? The essential in that, we talk about discernment. Another essential is accountability. In other words, it's not in a vacuum, and I want to give you all some, some ideas here. Pastor Greg uses the term cultivation group. Uh, in, in our men's ministry, we use the term GM6, the idea of, of a small group of men that, that very much, if you look at those 11 items, it's, it's a closed group, but it's not a clique. In other words, you're developing a sense of trust and camaraderie within these relationships. Um, I don't know, do you all have a list of all of them here? If you, we, we can go through these pretty quickly. You're, you're surrounded by men that are faithful, they're available and teachable. And I know somebody's teachable when they're able to teach me, and also I'm able to teach them. If I can, if I can hear, hey, what well, you said, I, I, you know, I'm not really sure, have you thought that through totally? And if a guy immediately gets defensive and is angry, I'm probably like, I don't think they're real teachable right now. That doesn't mean I did the wrong thing. I'm probably not going to press into that a whole lot further. I'm going to say, okay, I'm not going to sever a relationship over that. So if a man can handle that, at that point, he's probably in a good position to be in an accountability group with you because he's receiving from you and you're able to give, give to him. It's a give and a take. You, it's a set length of time and a set frequency. And for a lot of us, I would recommend it's weekly. Uh, if you have three men, then probably an hour can be really good. If you had four or five men, all of a sudden your time starts getting bigger. Because if you only had an hour and five men, that's 12 minutes a man. I mean, we're not going to get into the logistics of it, but we have to think, if I'm, if I'm being held accountable in a positive way, and we're going to look at what that positive way looks like, I probably need some time to have questions asked of me and me to answer those questions truthfully. So I'm, always, I'm a fan of smaller groups that aren't cliques, but they are good, solid men that you respect that are around you. They don't have to be your same age but they're probably going to be in your similar stage of life. Um, you want to establish the format and the rules. You know, how do you go about, what do you do when you get there? Is it going to be prayer? And then are you going to ask each other's questions? You're going to share what God's teaching you. I mean, we've got lots of resources available with, if y'all are curious about this, to, to help you out. It's proactive. It's not reactive. And this is tying into the, what Don had talked about, this idea of, a focus. It, there is a vision of where life is going. So instead of accountability not to look at something on the internet, it becomes accountability because I'm like, this is the type of man I want to be. I want these three. I want Victor, I want you to hold me accountable. That I would be a man whose passions were not more important than the principles and the rules of God so that I might have the integrity that I could lead my family well. Okay, so can you do that? I want to be that man. That's the vision I have of who I want to be. So now, when I'm looking at something on the internet, it's not, oh my gosh, I looked at something on the internet. It's, is that making you the man you want to be? No, it's not. I don't want to be that man. I want to be this man. Well, Eric, I believe in you. I'm praying for you. You can call me. If you're weak, it, it becomes positive. Uh, Debt-free living. I would suggest to every one of us in here, I really would, Man, I would pursue to be debt-free, legally debt-free. I'm not saying, you know, steal money and kill people to, to be debt-free, but I would pursue that. 
Uh, this idea of, of candidness but not cruel. If a guy blows it, it is not a dog pile beat the daylights out of a guy. We don't want to shoot the wounded. It ought to be positive enough that we're like, I hate that for you. That would hurt, you know, to, to have worked so hard and then, then to blow it. But I believe in God in you. I believe that God is directing you. And let's get, don't feel sorry for yourself. Let's get up and go forward. It's confidential. You trust one another. You share in that period of trust. And that gives you a strength there. That you know these men are, are noble and honorable. And they'll keep it there. We've already talked about the size, you know, four to eight men. I would say it's three to three to six. Um, depends on how much time you have available. The idea of duplicating your group. If your group's been together a while and you felt really solid, there are men in our church that don't have a group to hold them accountable. And I would think it would be an amazing thing if you had five guys or six guys in a group is three and three go and each of you grab another man and you say, Lord God, we're going to multiply ourselves over the next year. We're going to allow these men to come into a very healthy, strong, encouraging relationship of accountability. Because all of us are called to this idea of spiritual teaching. All of us. Not just one man or two men. It's positively, it's focused on growth and right actions. And then ultimately something... There should be men in your life that you care enough that if you were to call them up, you would never want to say, hey, I just want to tell you I had an affair with my wife. Or, hey, I just want to tell you uh, I just uh, cheated on my taxes and I'm getting audited now and that's not... You know, we, we should want to have enough care and concern for men that we would not want to ever make those phone calls. That that should keep us moving forward as well. But it is, again, positively focused. And Don, you want to add something on the accountability idea? Yeah, this is not a legalism idea. This is actually a boundary. This is a freedom idea, not a, not a restrictive idea. So as you have, find boundaries around you, as you place those things there, it's so that we can have freedom in Christ, so that we be all that Christ wants us to be. And so as we place ourselves onto a team, we place ourselves into, into the game, we don't all do our own thing because we're free. We all do the same thing. We do a, maybe different roles, different functions on that team, but all focused on one purpose, that we want to win in that game. And so this idea of the journey where we're walking as men, we have the awesome privilege of being spiritual teachers. Hey, is that what you need? Is that where you're going? Is that best? I call it the ministry of the obvious. It's the things that everybody sees, it's what's already there, and you just simply bring it up. We talk about it. Is that really what we want to be? I remember thinking of what single adult ministry was supposed to be like. I think before I got here, I, I guess I found out, I really, I'd been doing single adult ministry, but I thought, let me ask some people what they think of single adult ministry. I got some really bad stuff. I mean, I got people saying it was um, articulate junior hires, was one. Single for a reason, so uh, far. I got uh, extra grace required. I got all kinds, and I go, wow, that's, that's, well, that's, that's pretty un unbelievable. Uh, occasionally I get, oh yeah, there are some. And I thought, well, I walked in to the, to the deal as I was kind of applying for a job, and I started meeting people and go, wow, I don't, these are great folks. So I thought, hmm, where are we going to take, how, how, are we going to, how are we going to do this journey? Where are we going with this thing? Like? What's this going to be like? So we started saying some parameters. We're adults that are on the Christian journey, maybe pre-Christian, maybe just became a Christian, but we're for Christians. And we happen to be single. So this set the priorities right. As a, as, a, as a single adult man walking into a, in a do, what do we want this, this group to be like? What, what are we setting up? Or is this a Christian dating scene? Is this a, is this a Christian bar scene? 
Or is this a place in which truly we as men protect this so this can be all that it needs to be so that every person here can grow spiritually? And in so doing, they can be all that God wants to be. In so doing, maybe God would bring along that sweet honey or maybe bring some great lifetime friends or maybe because we're just adults that are walking and trying to become more like Christ and we happen to be single right now. One day that might change. So how do we do that? What do we need for that life focus, for that life journey, for that down the... So we hold ourselves accountable to that. So I say oftentimes, some of you guys in the summit have heard me say it, this is what we are, this is our priority, here's, here's where we're going, this is why we do what we do. Literally, I believe that what sets the tone of that is men. These accountability groups, this freedom you find in this to be all that God wants you to be, then permeates into everything else that you do. It sets it up this way. So a guy says, man, I want, I want to treat women with, instead of like an object to try to get, an object of, of, of affection or an object of my affections to try to get something from them, I'm going to treat them as ladies. I'm going to treat them as sisters with all purity. That may mean at that point they make the intentions known. They're taught forthright. They're no longer a poser. They're no longer a player. They now say, hey, here's who I am. That means they see a girl walking outside instead of a, girl, a pretty girl, ugly girl. It doesn't really matter any longer. It's a lady walking outside. And my opportunity, my privilege, is to walk to make sure that they're safe getting to the car. Because I, I want, as a man, to make sure that they've got a safe environment. So I walk them to the car. I make sure that when a new guy walks into the church, that they're, that they're looking up and down the girl and then dressing with their eyes. And I see that. I go, hey, let me know. What's your name? Hey, let's go. And let's visit. And we have a conversation about all that we want men to be like in this class. Maybe not saying anything about how they've addressed the girl. We're talking completely about what we want to be and what kind of men we want to be. And having a conversation about that. What does it look like for you as men, for us as men, to be all that God wants us to be? What are the things we need in our lives, the character qualities, the the, the the understanding of all that God wants so that when on a journey in life we have what it, what it takes. I love the way Eldridge calls it. You as dads, you as husband, you as single man have what it takes in Christ. Completely. You have it. It's not something he's looking for. He's not trying to make you, you have. This role that you fulfill then helps you understand that role, understand that you have what it takes. Understand that God has supplied you with all those needs and it encourages to be all that. Does that make sense? And so I talk out of those convictions. I talk out of that, not because I'm trying to impose something on someone else, but because God has taught me. Some of these things I talk about are because I've failed myself. I've saw, thought, saw things, seen things, done those things, and I go, man, I hate the way I feel on that. God, would you teach me how to think right, look right, be right, so that I can then share that with another person and say, hey, let me tell you the victory can have in Christ. Yeah, I would went off on that. No, no, that's, that's great. Sorry. I would encourage you, you know, if if you currently don't have any time that you're getting into scripture, I just want to challenge you. Yeah, you know, a guy challenged me one time going off to college. He said, five minutes. <laughs> he said, you have a spare five minutes every day. I was like, of course. I mean, it's like you know, you, you watch TV, you play. Yeah, it's like I had five minutes. He said, take your Bible and open up Gospel of John. And just begin to read, and just read for five minutes. And before you read, ask God to show you something. And ask God that whatever, just tell him, whatever he shows you, you're going to say yes to, whatever it is. And just start. And I just started, you know, it's like a five-minute experiment every day. God will grow and multiply your heart if you trust him enough to go with him, and walk with him, and seek after him. That's his promises to us. Um, if you don't have an accountability group, it's not a check my list. I got guys that ask me questions. Are there men in your life 
that you know care enough about you to speak truthfully to you, that you care enough about to speak truthfully to them, that you know they're actually there for you to become the man God desires you to be. And you sort of have a vision of what that man is because you've been in the Word. You've seen some qualities and attributes that you think, this is Christ's likeness and I want to be that man. Our world is ripped apart by men that don't have those attributes and those qualities. It's also made great by men that do. Which one will we be? Who do I choose to be? And then will I, as a spiritual teacher, grow in my discernment, surround myself with accountability so that I might be a great leader, a great leader in God's kingdom? And so, like Don said, it's about freedom. It's not legalism. But I would just say I don't know of another pathway to walk down apart from accountability, being in the Word, prayer, corporate worship. I think it's really hard for me to imagine uh, getting a self-help book and going it alone. I mean, that's more of the American way. I just don't think that yields what we desire, you know, long term. Look at your last page there. Look at your last page and just take a moment and then uh, just write down something. One new thing that I learned about God expecting me as a man. One new realization God showed me about myself. Did you take this out? Father, thanks for your love for us. Thanks for your kindness that as we uh, end in this life, journey of life, Father, we don't have to do it alone. And so, Father, we pray that you would uh, allow us the uh, ability to gain, to put on that warp, to put into our lives those things that we need for life's journey. Father, if, as we learn those things, Father, may we help others do the same thing. As young people come around us, let us teach them what they need to kind of put in their life and you know, walk life with you. What does it look like to do that with the ladies in our life and the children in our life. And let us be just that kind of person. Father, I pray that as we uh, uh, trust you with this, that you would lift us up, not because we have anything to offer, but because you are a great God who allows us to walk in, in humility and what lets us walk with you. Thank you again for your kindness. Thanks for this uh, great group of men. May these uh, truths be something that uh, become part of our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And just to... So as y'all look around, I mean, in here there's, you know, like any, any given week between sort of 14 and 18 men in here. And just a reminder that that sort of Christ started with 12 and turned the world upside down. That it's, uh, 
there's an impact that God has designed, and, and I, I don't think that we're all here by chance. So there's there's an impact that God has that He desires to see for each of us, and I think if we're obedient to that, we're going to see a movement of God in a, in a really great way. I really do. And so I want to encourage y'all as, you know, we, we finish out next week, but that's really the beginning. I hope it's, it's the yeah. beginning of a journey of saying, God, these are the principles. Uh, as we go on, I, I hope if there are questions you have, you know, these are, uh, we'll have some resources, but, but more than that, just to, to call, to ask, to talk, to have these conversations with other men, I think are, are, it's very important. I don't want to miss that. Hey, thank you. Done a little early. If you have any, if you have a golf stuff, remember that kind of take one of those with you. If you like to be a part of that, you can information on how to give you a part of that is there. The uh, we are not starting a new magazine, by the way. Um, so uh, that was just all a complete joke. In case anyone doesn't like my odd sense of humor, I like the Onion. I think it's funny. So uh, anyway, thank you.